you're listening to On Israel in Al Monitor. I am Ben Kasprit from Tel Aviv. Israel is deeply worried by the deja vu scenes of uh, Christian and Shiite Muslim militias shooting at each other from between the skyscrapers of Beirut. In the first Lebanese uh, civil war that started in the 1970s, Israel was an active, although secondary, player. Less than a decade later, it invaded Lebanon and occupied its south for 18 years, setting off a chain of disasters for all the sides involved, including the Americans. Israel is well aware that a second civil war in Lebanon would affect the entire region and obviously Israel too. Israel's shadow looms large over the Lebanese arena. Shiite leader Hassan Nasrallah knows it, Christian leader Samir Gaga knows it, as do Syrian President Assad, Russia's Putin, the Ayatollahs in Tehran, and the U.S. administration. Not one of them can look in the mirror and declare that a renewed civil war in Lebanon, which would turn the country's economic collapse into a huge humanitarian crisis, would not affect them, whether directly or indirectly. At the same time, Assad, the leader who had been written off and all but buried by most of the world over the past decade, is showing signs of vitality and a return to the warm embrace of at least the Arab consensus. Today's podcast hosts one of the most respected and knowledgeable experts on developments in the countries along Israel's northern front, Syria and Lebanon and beyond. Professor Eyal Zisser is the Vice Rector of the Tel Aviv University and the former Dean of its Faculty of Humanitarians and Director of the Moshe Dayan Center for Middle Eastern and African Studies. He served in the elite 8,200 unit of military intelligence, has published numerous studies and six books on Syria and Lebanon. Professor Zisser, who is closely monitoring the latest events in our North, joins us right after this short break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East, and if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Now I'm privileged to say hello uh, to my friend and colleague, Professor Eyal Zisser. Thank you for joining us here in On Israel and Al Monitor. Shalom Eyal. Shalom and uh, good evening. 
Okay, let's uh, start uh, uh, digging into a, a business. And I want just to ask you, because we are both, we experienced uh, the first uh, civil war in Lebanon from Israel. And are the scenes we have uh, witnessing in Beirut in recent days a prelude to a civil war of the type in uh, which we were involved in the past, or is it too soon to tell? Well, never say never, especially in the Middle East, and still I don't uh, see a coming uh, civil war in uh, Lebanon. After all, what we have seen in Lebanon is something Lebanon witnesses on a daily basis. I mean, uh, militias and the armed group uh, uh, fighting each other. This is something you, you can see in many cities and villages of Lebanon as I said before, on a daily le uh, level, because Lebanon is not a state in the sense we look at the state, you know, Western state or, or Israel and the government, the so-called government has no real control over most part of the country and most part of the armed group and, 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 and the militia. So they're fighting each other. What is unique here is, first of all, that it took place in the center of Beirut. Well, that's something we should pay attention to. And the other thing that there were those who dare to shoot at Hezbollah uh, fighters or uh, members. Uh, well, uh, somebody had the courage, but, but I don't see, you know, anyone uh, has an interest in Lebanon in, uh, um, any escalation and in getting engaged in a civil war, clearly it wouldn't serve uh, the interests of no one. So I, I guess my guess is that where things will calm down, there might be some, you know, someone might take revenge, but because Hezbollah already accused uh, uh, Jaja, it's a very Samir small Jaja, the leader of the Christian militias. But if if I can, uh, if I may follow up on the on the first question. Don't you think we see now things we didn't see we, in, in the last two, one or two decades because of the desperate situation of the economy, the shortage in, in energy, the total bankruptcy and collapse of, of the banks and, and, the, and the, the difficulties of, of Hezbollah and Nasrallah due to the investigation that is supposed to, uh, to find the, the, the people that, that they were responsible to the huge explosion in the port. All these uh, uh, scenarios are not, aren't, aren't, don't you think it, it may cause what we call the, the ultimate storm, the super storm that can cause a, a civil war? Well, once again, not necessarily. What we haven't seen and we've seen uh, during the last several months is uh, are people who dare to confront Hezbollah. It started, if you remember, with the Druze in the village of Shuya mm. that uh, stopped a vehicle of Hezbollah after launching rockets uh, into Israel in May 2020, uh, uh, just several months ago, and uh, beat the, the uh, Hezbollah fighter and, and, and uh, actually arrested him. And Nasrallah said, this is something that we cannot accept, but they dare to confront Hezbollah. And now people are shooting at the demonstration held by Hezbollah. So people are not 
so afraid of Hezbollah as they were before. But basically, when we look at uh, Lebanon, people are desperate, yes, uh, no doubt about it. There is a severe economic crisis, although, you know, we should judge it not uh, in Israeli eyes and according, according to Western criteria, but, well, when you look at the Middle East, Jordan, uh, Syria, the situation in Lebanon is bad, but, you know, uh, nothing, nothing new. Nothing new. And uh, the problem in Lebanon is, is always the problem is, first of all, that, you know, the corrupted uh, politicians, the godfathers, they are those who run the government now. They are those who are commanders of the uh, armed militias and they are responsible for the inmate in, in the Lebanese politics. And they play very smartly the ethnic or the communal card. And eventually those youngsters in Lebanon who um, want a change in the election, they will vote because of this ethnic or communal card, the question of identity to those leaders, something we know in Israel, you know, people are not happy, but eventually they go to fight, they go to vote. Uh, according to their affiliation or to their uh, the way they identify themselves. Yes, let's say a few words about the balance of power in Lebanon. You've written many researches and books about the, the civil war in Lebanon and the involvement of Syria and all the powers that we're steering in. And now, after I think that the civil war ended in 1990, so we are at 20. Uh, 35 years after this, uh, 31 years, and Lebanon's Christian population has been greatly weakened since the civil, first civil war, while the Shias have uh, grown much stronger, and Hezbollah leader Nasrallah is the strongest force in Lebanon, and the Syrians are playing a secondary role, not a major role that they played in the past, while Iran is busy steering the pot. How do you see the balance of power there and is it uh, sustainable? Well, first of all, in Lebanon, uh, you know, balance of power is something temporary. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, till the next civil war. And already Nasrallah, you know, many years ago said that actually it was after the American invaded Iraq in 2003. And Nasrallah said, there is one thing we should follow the Americans. Uh, held real democratic election, like the Americans held in Iraq. You know, in Iraq, for many years, the Sunnis were a small majority, but they were the rulers. Then the Americans brought real democracy, not the democratic process you have in Lebanon, which allocate seats uh, uh, among the, 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 the different communities. And the Shiites, who are almost 40%, have only 20% of the seats in the parliament. So Nasrallah said, I want real democratic direct election. But this will not happen. Uh, Nasrallah is strong, but, but he has his own, also he has his own constraints. First of all, not, of all, not, not all of the Shiites follow Nasrallah. And we saw it in Iraq, where, you know, many radical pro-Iranian parties were defeated in the last election only a week ago. Many Arab Shiites see themselves as Arab Lebanese, as Arab Iraqi, and do not want to follow uh, uh, Iran, or in our case, to follow Nasrallah. And then the Shiites, okay, they are 40%. So what are you going to do to occupy Lebanon, to suppress the other? This is something that might be 
too difficult. He can do it, but he will pay uh, a very heavy price. And why should you know in the meantime, he's doing what he wants. And you know, the government is a tool in his hands. Nobody interrupt or disturb what he's doing uh, or confront him. So why should he drag the country into a civil war? So he's almighty, but still has his own uh, source of weakness. And uh, that's, that's the we, current question. Now we reached the, the ultimate question because we are in Israel, are involved in everything. And if uh, the worst case scenario will, will, will happen, how would a civil and new civil war in Lebanon can affect Israel, in your opinion? Well, judging from the from the past, it will. I mean, first of all, it's up to us to decide whether we want to be dragged into into the war like we did in to, in, in in 1982, where we were those who take the decision to get involved in the war, but. If we'll follow what we did in Syria, I mean, yes, there is the challenge that, uh, you know, ISIS or some radical groups might launch rocket or try to carry out uh, attacks like they did, you know, in May only several months ago. But this is on the tactical level. It's not a strategical threat. Basically, Hezbollah will be focused on, you know, uh, uh, maintaining or uh, ensuring, uh, you know, in this battle of survival, ensuring his uh, position. And uh, he will have uh, a real challenge how to keep the balance with Israel, how to maintain the uh, deterrence capability he achieved vis-a-vis -vis Israel. And, you know, when we speak about civil war in Lebanon, it's, you know, mainly uh, someone shooting uh, or exchange, you know, shooting with, with, with other group. It's not a real, it's not a real war. And there's nothing to do with the arsenal of missiles Hezbollah has. So I, I, I would argue that uh, it will have uh, very little uh, effect. And uh, as far as the arsenal and the power of Hezbollah, it will not affect it. And uh, Israel will uh, uh, should try to avoid any engagement in such a war, and shouldn't rely on the hope that you know this wishful thinking that because Nasrallah is now engaged in a civil war, domestic civil war. He's so busy that he might leave us alone and <laughs> but do whatever I, we want. I'm, I'm happy to hear your uh, optimism, Professor Zisser, but I hear other analysts that say that uh, usually we think that we, had, we have a balance of deterrence between Hezbollah and Israel. Nasrallah knows uh, very well uh, the, the, all the aspects of the Israeli uh, power. And, and the ways to, to harm Lebanon. And we know very well that uh, 160,000 uh, Nasrallah's rockets and missiles, a part of them are accurate. 
but and no one is is uh, pulling uh, the the rope too much but maybe because of his weakness uh, and his the criticism uh, in this in the civil uh, scene in lebanon and the demonstrations against him and maybe responsibility to that explosion maybe his his refuge might be uh, getting uh, to uh, to uh, maybe dragging Israel to a small war, so the whole strategic situation can change uh, from Nasrallah that wants to keep the, the the quiet in any cost. We may find Nasrallah that wants to, to lit the fire in order to escape his domestic problem, or or do I uh, am I too illusional? I, 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 I don't think Nasrallah has a real domestic, it's, it's like suggesting, uh, suggesting that Netanyahu has a serious domestic problem within the Likud. Yes, he has a problem, but uh, you know, I think Nasrallah is doing better and, and Nasrallah's situation is much better in the sense that nobody really uh, challenges him. Everybody is waiting for him to make a mistake and maybe to use it, but Amal, the biggest Shiite party in Lebanon, oppose Nasrallah, but still will follow him in any uh, case. The Christian, most of the Christian are totally with Nasrallah. The Sunnis, the Hariri family are against him, but they are powerless. You know, usually the Sunnis are powerless. They always rely on other, the PLO, the Syrian to fight on their behalf. The Dulus do not care about anything that has to do with outside the Mount Lebanon. So, so you know, nobody, yes, is embarrassed by, you know, those uh, media reports and that media report. There is criticism from within, but, you know, basically most of the Shiite wouldn't identify themselves as, you know, great supporters and admirer of Hezbollah, but all of them will vote for Hezbollah in the election because they have no other alternative. So, I, I, I don't think that Nasrallah is facing, uh, you know, a dramatic challenge, problems like any... The situation is not uh, so acute as we yeah. in Israel think, and uh, it's very interesting what you just described us, and I, I liked very much the comparison to Bibi's situation in the Likud, because the, it's the same. Everyone says that uh, in, in a few moments or days or months or years, uh, they will, someone will come and uh, tell Netanyahu, listen, you have to leave now. Uh, uh, your post as the Likud chairman, but is, it, it will never happen. Well, Let's and, go and to Netanyahu, the... And I, uh, allow me to say, Netanyahu, exactly as in the case of Bashar, people came to me and say, you know, Bashar is finished. And I said, no, I have to write another book about him. And it's true as <laughs> Netanyahu. I'm waiting for your next book. Hey, about... It was just out, the, the, the new edition of my Netanyahu book. But so I think you will have, start, a, have you know. many more editions to come, Professor Zissel. So. Yes, that's what I suggest. You and, uh, and I will, uh, will write a, a lot more about Assad and uh, Netanyahu in the next years. But the, the very interesting question that, uh, that, that I'm very interested in in the last few months is energy. Lebanon is desperate uh, in a desperate need of energy sources, gas and oil. This has set uh, off a race between Iran and Hezbollah on the one side and the West on the other side. Which of them can save Lebanon from collapse by solving its energy uh, shortages? There have been reports that Israeli gas being supplied currently to Egypt and Jordan 
could be pumped into Lebanon to ease its energy crisis. Is this a realistic option, do you think? Well, when we speak about electricity from Jordan, how do they produce electricity? I mean, by using Israeli gas, so indirectly, yes, it's uh, gas from Israel that will save Lebanon, but you know, it's a project it will take time. It's much more easier for France or the United States to give uh, some million dollars to the Lebanese government and they, they can import uh, oil because the problem is that, you know, the government doesn't have any currency right now to import oil from the West and uh, it's, it's much easier, safer and faster to do so. So I guess that eventually they will find, as always in Lebanon, uh, not a real solution, but something that will uh, help them, uh, you know, the, the coming winter, okay? So, uh, tactical. so, yeah, tactical solution for the coming winter, not more than that. And uh, the problem is with, uh, you know, uh, failing company, electricity company, corrupted uh, corruption and uh, so on and so forth. So, there is very, very little you can do. I mean, Hezbollah can bring some more oil from Iran, but it's not uh, enough. Uh, probably eventually uh, they'll get some money from France or Saudi Arabia and they will import the oil from either the West or Iraq. So it's not so, so important who will be the savior, uh, if I understand you right. Uh, this race is uh, exaggerated. Uh, yes, indeed. And eventually, you know, nothing is important in Lebanon because, you know, uh, everyone, he can say what he wants and he can, you know, eventually goes to the ballot in the election day and vote for his, you know, for his community, for his, uh, it's like the Godfather, you know, you saw the movie. Uh, and well, this is the everything. Everything is personal, and you, you vote for the for your tribe, for your, uh, your tribe, for your family. For that's how it works in this part of the Middle East. Okay, so let's move a little to the east to a guy that you just mentioned that you are a, you, you wrote a lot about his father and of course about him and I think if I if I recall that you you are not one of the of the analysts that that uh, said that that's it, Bashar al-Assad is going, uh, he's not here anymore. Like, uh, for example, our defense minister, Ehud Barak, that said, yeah. I think back in 2012, when the Syrian yeah. uh, civil war erupted, that uh, Assad will not be with us in a the few weeks or months. So you, you, you actually said that uh, he's here to stay and he's staying. And he's really on his way back to the Arab fold, or at least to, to some sort of a legitimization in the Arab world, even though he has been declared a war criminal. Have Arab leaders concluded that Assad has won the war and uh, is therefore Syria's rightful leader? And do you see any mutual interests uh, tying him to Israel these days? Well, it's not only the Arab world, it's only the, also the United States. I mean, when the United States uh, offer some support for the, and you just mentioned it, for, uh, to Lebanon, how the electricity 
will, will, will run from Jordan to Lebanon, of course, through Syria. So the Americans said very clearly, we are ready to work with, uh, with uh, Bashar al-Assad. He has no alternative. You know, nobody likes him, maybe even inside Syria. But when you look at the situation, I mean, uh, no, no other alternative is the one to work with. And people are, first of all, with the victorious, and he won the civil war with the help of Russia and Iran. And people are uh, realistic. So eventually he will be welcomed by the Americans. And sooner or later, you will hear Israelis calling for the resumption of the peace negotiations with uh, Syria, the Golan for peace. Do you think, I heard from, for example, a, a former chief of staff, Gabi Ashkenazi, that Israel made a mistake not uh, being involved in the civil war in the, its most crucial moments and, and supplying the, 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 the one push that was needed to, to, uh, to oust uh, the Assad family from power. And then maybe we could save this Shiite axe that starts in, in Tehran and in the Persian Gulf and, and ends in, uh, in Tartus in, uh, and, and Beirut on the Mediterranean? Well, we could help uh, the ISIS. ISIS was, was, was the only power that could, you know, because others were, you know, 1,000 armed group, uh, totally ununited, fighting each other. I mean, Obama said it very clearly. I invested hours in, in, in studying the situation, looking for a solution, and I couldn't find. I mean, terrible situation, but I couldn't find. I, I wish I had someone I could give money or give weapon, but this was not the case. So I don't know uh, uh, what, 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 what stands behind uh, uh, um, Gabi Eisenkot's remarks. I mean, yes, you could, you know, bomb the palace of Bashar al-Assad, got rid of him, but then what? Then you'll get a chaos. Then you will you you'll get you might get ISIS, and uh, you know Israel prefer in Gaza, in Lebanon, also in Syria, a clear address, a stable regime that you can so-called make business. I mean, in Gaza, do you prefer the Hamas or you prefer you know a chaos and the emergence of much more radical groups? And the answer is very clear. So. I don't yes. think Israel at any in any given moment an opportunity to uh, a real window of opportunity to change anything in Syria. Just a small correction. It was Gabi Ashkenazi that said it. I don't think Gabi ah, Eisenkot okay, said it, okay, but, yes, but sure the idea Gabi, is the same. Yeah. And, and, and as you know, the, the formula that we all know from the Middle East, you will always miss the previous dictator, uh, like everyone yeah. misses uh, Saddam Hussein and Gaddafi and uh, etc. Uh, finally, it was uh, reported, I think, in, during this weekend that uh, a, a guy that was arrested in Israel for 15 years and then moved to Syria named Madhat Salah was assassinated yeah. uh, during the weekend. The Syrians says it's Israel because he was busy building a, a military infrastructure for Hezbollah and Iran in the Syrian Golan. And I want to ask you as, as really one of the analysts that, that know Assad best, 
Do you think he, 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 he now he, he, he reached the conclusion that he doesn't need the Iranians anymore and he wishes them to get out of Syria? If, it, if he could choose, if he was strong enough, and so uh, because he has to suffer uh, Israel's attacks, according to the, to the foreign media, because of the Iranian uh, involvement in his uh, backyard. Well, you know, for years, for years, Israel and the United States uh, have told Bashar, uh, get rid of the Iranian, disengage from the Iranian, come to us, make peace with Israel. And in the moment of truth, when the civil war started, Ashkenazi said we should get rid of Bashar, the Americans cut off all of their relations with Bashar, and the only one who came to save him were the Iranian. He will never forget it. I mean, yes, he, he wants some sort of a balance of power. He, he doesn't want to be totally dependent on the Iranians. He doesn't trust the Iranians. And still, uh, the whole idea is to maintain good relations with the Iranians as a way to deter Israel and the Americans. And uh, maybe in the future to engage in talks with Israel and the, and the um, uh, Americans. I, I, I think, yes, he, he might try to convince the Iranian to lower the level of presence so, and, and, and this sort of thing. But I don't think that uh, he will try to get rid of the Iranians, and it's it's too early. It's too early. And the situation you, in Syria is, is still very shaky. And do you still think uh, you just mentioned it? And I, I I cannot conclude this conversation without asking you after, if, if so many years of negotiation between uh, Itzhak Rabin and Shimon Peres and Ehud Barak and Ehud Olmert and Benjamin Netanyahu and the Assad family, the father and, and the son, after the American. A recognition of the Golan Heights as, a, as an Israeli sovereign a, a, a piece of land, is it still possible to renew the peace, uh, theoretically speaking, of course, peace negotiation between Syria and Israel? You will not find anyone in Israel today that is uh, willing to, to get down from the Golan Heights after what we saw. Yeah, first of all, the Americans has as you have not uh, noticed, changed their mind. And the new Secretary of State said already that, you know, for the time being, but, you know, it's uh, for negotiation. It, it would be on it. And, well, Israel will have to wait and see, for example, what might happen with Iran, if Iran gets nuclear, you know. So uh, ne never say never in the... In Anything the Middle East. can happen right in now our neighborhood. Yes, yes, right now it's unlikely, but who knows, who knows. Professor Eyal Zisser, it was fascinating, and I want to thank you very much for joining thank us you. here in Almonito. Thank you very much. Thank you. We will go to a short break and come back with some final thoughts shortly. Wait for us. Thank you. Toda, Eyal. Toda, bekef, meachuz. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of the award-winning media news site, El Monitor, where we cover the Middle East with some of the best reporters and columnists anywhere. And I'm excited to announce our new podcast, On the Middle East, where each week I will interview newsmakers from the U.S. and the region about the latest news and trends with additional commentary from our on-the-ground correspondents. Those of you who follow the region know that what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. And to cite another great movie line, every time the U.S. tries to get out, the region pulls us back.
Your time is valuable, so let me promise you this. You will learn something and you will never be bored because each week we'll be talking with and listening to those leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in this critical and fascinating region. So please subscribe to On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Thank you for staying with us. Professor Zisser's educated guess is that the sides in Lebanon are not going to another round of civil war. He says that we, we've seen in the past bursts of violence uh, similar to what we saw in the last weekend. And there are still many checks and balances that uh, would uh, keep control on the situation and prevent uh, Hassan Nasrallah from one side, Samir Jaja from the other side, and all the other players in Lebanon to, uh, to let the situation uh, deteriorate. Another interesting thing that Professor Zisser uh, said is that uh, unlike many other analysts that are uh, emphasizing all the time uh, uh, the weakness of Hassan Nasrallah, the, the inner uh, pressure inside Lebanon, uh, the criticism uh, from many others in Lebanon about uh, Hezbollah, about his possible responsibility to the huge explosion in the port. Professor Zisser says uh, that Nasrallah is not weak. Uh, and uh, he made a very funny uh, comparison to Benjamin Netanyahu in the Likud. We always like to say that it's a matter of time until someone in the Likud will, will rise and said, Bibi, it's about time you leave a post, but no one, no one can really harm Netanyahu inside Likud. And the same uh, uh, in uh, the, the Nasrallah's case, two professors is her opinion. If the worst case scenario uh, will happen and uh, we will see, uh, God forbid, uh, another round of civil war in Lebanon, Professor Zisser uh, is not sure that it will drag Israel inside. And actually he said it, it depends uh, in us if we will decide like we, uh, the decision Israel uh, took in the civil war in Syria to uh, stay out there is a good chance we will be out. Uh, of course, someone can, can shoot or, or launch a few rockets here and there, but uh, Nasrallah will not have an interest to, uh, to get Israel involved. So it's a, a second uh, civil war in Lebanon does not say necessarily that Israel will take part in it like it, it did in the, in the previous round. And finally, talking about Assad, uh, Bashar al-Assad, uh, Professor Zisser agrees that it's not only the Arab world that uh, realized that Assad is back and he's here to stay. It's also an uh, international community, and especially the Americans, that are willing to work with uh, Bashar al-Assad because, first, he won the war, and everybody knows it, with the help of uh, the Russians and the Iranians, but it doesn't matter. And second, there is no alternative to Assad in Syria. And this is the, the big uh, Assad asset and secret. I hope you found it interesting, and I hope to find you here next week in, uh, on Israel in Al Monitor. I'm Ben Gaspit from Tel Aviv. Take care. Bye-bye.